0: Welcome to high cheese. Welcome to episode 73, my 2023 prediction episode. But before we get into my predictions for next year, I just want to cover a couple of items. The first thing I want to cover is that they released Trump's taxes. They released a full Monty on Trump's taxes and in typical fashion. Well, first, let me just say, this is a dud. This is just a big dud. Last week when they released a synopsis of uh, uh, Trump's taxes, that was a dud. This is going to be a dud also. And in typical mainstream media fashion, they're lying about what Trump paid in taxes. There was one headline, I think it was from MSNBC. Oh, Trump paid no taxes in 2015 and 2016 and 2017. Well, wait a second, guys. I looked at the returns. I looked at the releases. I looked at the summary. I'm a finance guy. I know my way around taxes and balance sheets. And in 2015, Trump paid $641,000 in taxes. And if you include other taxes, like the self-employment tax, household employment tax, and other taxes, Trump paid $755,000 in taxes. Now, in 2016, Trump paid... $750 $750 in taxes? But wait a second. When you add the other taxes he paid, he paid $614,000 in taxes. Then in 2017, oh, he paid $750 in taxes. Nope. 284000 And then in 2018, he paid $1 million in taxes. And when you add the other taxes that he paid, $2.1 And in 2019, $133,000 and $460,000 with the additional taxes. And in 2020, he paid a total of $272,000 in taxes, total. So all these people out there in the mainstream arena trying to say that Trump didn't pay his tax. He paid plenty of taxes, my friend. And he made a lot of money. In the years that he lost money, he paid no federal tax, uh, no um, net tax, but he paid additional taxes, like I said before: self-employment tax, household employment tax. Now I, I want to, you know, what was the purpose of this? Were they trying to embarrass Trump? Were they trying to say, "Oh well, well, you know, we're gonna Trump releases taxes, and we're gonna let everybody know he's really not as rich as he says he is." Well, he is now; he's a billionaire. And the fact that he's a billionaire is not going to show up in his income taxes, but he makes a ton of money. And I think the Democrats are hoping that there was going to be some nuggets in there that said that, oh, Trump's really not a billionaire. He says he's a billionaire, but he's really a not a billionaire. Or, from, or some tax attorney from some Washington democratically connected firm is going to go through this and say, ah, I found something. Now, the other thing I, I think that they released this for they they actually wanted to see how much money Trump has coming in. And this is for the purposes of lawfare. Now all these democratic operatives that are thinking about suing Trump and having to expend money, commonly known as lawfare, they want to know what Trump's got coming in. So they know how much and what they can sue him for. Is it worthwhile to sue Trump? Because you know Trump's going to fight back. <clears throat> and if Trump has to has income of $15 million coming in one year. And he's going to spend a million dollars one year on uh, legal fees. I don't think he cares at this point. He's made his money. He knows what's at stake here. But I think part of it was the uh, Democratic operatives that were looking to sue Trump. They just wanted to know what he has coming in. So they were hopefully hoping that they could drain him financially. And they can't drain Trump financially. He just makes too much money. He's worth too much money. But I know in the back of their minds, that's what they were looking for. So this is just a big old waste of your time, waste of my time. Democrats are going to look to try and find something out of this just to keep Trump in the headlines in a negative way. Trump doesn't care. We don't care. So this is going to be a big dud, a big waste of everybody's time. So we shall see. John Stockton, the NBA Hall of Famer, uh, one of the top five point guards in NBA history. He's been being attacked by the media about his positions on vaccines. And the latest one is about him saying, well, the media is claiming that he said that there were a thousand pro athletes that have dropped dead from the vaccine. And let me just play this clip. And then we'll come back and discuss. And this is a clip from Michelle Tafoya's podcast. I don't know if you remember Michelle Tafoya. She used to uh, work the sidelines on Sunday Night Football. And then earlier this year, she had left to start her own podcast and do her own thing. And boy, did she get lambasted by the woke sports media. And let me just read a quick, quick article. And this is from Yahoo Sports. And it says just days after she tearfully left her lucrative and high-profile job as a sideline reporter for Sunday Night Football, Michelle Tafoya appeared on right-wing media networks to show her true colors. There's a feeling of repugnance seeing Tafoya's recent comments contrasted with the fact that for years she was smiling in the faces of black coaches and players to mine them for nuggets of information to make sure she looked great in her job. But we'll set that aside for now. So here's my point with the clip. And Stockton in this interview comes out and says that, well, you know, maybe there's up to a thousand professional athletes that have died. I think he said died from the vaccine. And he later corrects himself and says, you know, maybe it's not a thousand. Maybe a little high. But the media jumped all over the first statement that he made. Stockton said that there's a thousand professional athletes that died. That's not true. Well, Stockton already said that it may not be true because he corrected himself. But not to the media. And this is how they work. They'll parse words, create their own meaning of your intent, and they'll throw it down on the headline. And then their minions will start attacking him. Stockton's resilient. I admire the guy. He's tough. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss.
1: Why did you want to jump into this with both feet?
0: Well, I have a little history
2: behind it. Mine goes way back and I kind of had my eyes on this ball for a long time and and I've had a healthy distrust for what the vaccines are, what their claims are, and and what their damages are. Um, And then COVID rolls in and just kind of fit right into everything that I had been learning over the years, both through Reading, reading, learning, talking to people, but also personal experience with family members. I, I mentioned that my father was a yearly uh, FUVAX guy uh, because he knows, he's an elderly man, it was an elderly man. And they said, well, you, you need to do it to protect him." Well, three times in a row, three years in a row, three days afterwards, he goes into substance. I and mean, we almost lose him three years in a row, right after the shot. I was kind of geared up when COVID hit. Then they then they start taking away our freedoms one after the other, They forced with the mask, which as you know, it's like giving a, a, a chain link fence to, to keep mosquitoes out. It, it doesn't work. And they're being forced on us. Testing's being forced on us. Uh, mandated medicines, whether it's even a vaccine or not, we can get into that, were forced on us. And so I, I just felt like I have a duty. I, I I know these things. I have to start opening my mouth a little bit and tell, start telling people what I know, and they can make their own choices.
1: You know, I, I would be derelict if I didn't ask you this question, John, because, uh, there's there's one article here, and, and quite a few of them mention this, that you you claimed that 100, 150 athletes have dropped dead be- since the vaccine came out. Where did you get that information? Well,
2: I got it from a lot of places. Otherwise, I would have never had the confidence to share it. That, that's the beauty of it is, I, I mean, I, I have quite a system that I go through before I open my mouth, especially with statistics. And I knew at the time 150 was dramatically low. And uh, I mean, I thought it was in the area of 300. So when I, went, when I went and spoke at the spokesman review, we had a nice interview and they asked that. And of course, whatever factchecker.org or .com is came out and said, well, that's baloney. Um, I went back and looked again. I had names, pictures, faces, um, where they played. Of, I had over 300 at the time. So I felt pretty secure with my little 150. And, yeah. uh, again, people had to come out and argue that I, I had the proof in my hands, piece of paper with their names. So, um, and it's been, it's way more than that now. I mean, I, I think it's in the thousands now, but uh, don't quote me on that one.
1: I, I won't quote, okay, we're not quoting John on that one. <laughs> no, no I'm not saying a thousand, but it might be.
0: It's a big number. So the mainstream media jumped all over it. Ah, oh, he said a thousand. He said a thousand. Well, no, he didn't quite say a thousand. He has to be corrected. And this is how the media works. And this is why they're disingenuous. And quite frankly, if these reporters did any research, there are a heck of a lot of European football players, soccer players, that have just collapsed from heart attacks. Some have died. And Stockton's right. There's plenty, at least 150 known athletes that have died. Doesn't take much research to find that out. Now, what's been happening is the media, the sports page, have been trying to cover it up. But a guy like Stockton catches it before it can be covered up. But there are a lot of European football players that have collapsed and died. Now, the next clip from Stockton I'm going to uh, play is just to show you. You can see how this guy excelled in sports. You know, I I play sports. My, My family have all played sports. And one thing you have to know as an athlete, when you've got somebody on the ropes, you've got to lay the hammer down on them. You have to have the killer instinct. I'm not saying kill people. But Stockton has this. And the upcoming comment that he makes about, okay, the tides have turned, but we can't let them off the hook. And it's just showing what a really competitive athlete that Stockton is. Because we cannot let these people off the hook. The tides have turned on the vaccine. It's not enough for us well, let's just play the clip, and then we'll come back,
1: John. How optimistic are you that we will learn from what we've just been through in the past few years?
2: Actually, pretty optimistic at this point. It's I think the tide is turning. Uh, you see people backpedaling a lot now. They're in the backstroke, trying to say, "No, we didn't really say that. <laughs> uh, we kind of said this. Um, they, they, we did it just to keep our business open. We did it just to do this. We we followed the rules of the health district. Whatever." Uh, which I find to be one of the most you know, criminal things that, they, that the, the health district got to tell people what they could do with their businesses. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's coming back around and it's slow. What scares me a little bit in that room full of hope that I have is that people are real easy to say, ah, oh, wow, phew, pressure's off. We don't have to do the shots or masks anymore. Now I just go back to work and not think about it again, where meanwhile, the people that don't sleep are continuing to force... The, force the issue. They're continuing to get see, see, get tighter clamps on, like for example, the WHO. The WHO is trying to pass legislation in, throughout the world right now that any pandemic, and the pandemic is qualified only by their decision. And they'll have the ability to, to, uh, to start a vaccine passport worldwide. Yeah. So unelected non-American officials mm-hmm. will get to make decisions for the entire United States of America and all the other countries Based on their perception of a pandemic, which we could see from last time, if there's anybody we shouldn't trust, it would be them.
0: And they're well, saying, no. no, no,
2: trust us. We've got yeah. it. And they have complete yeah. control over us. So that scares me that we're letting off the heat, letting off the pressure on that. We need to make sure that they're held accountable for these decisions and, the, and these purposeful decisions.
0: Now, one of those people who is not letting them off the hook is Ed Dowd. Ed Dowd is a former BlackRock employee who went off and started his own hedge fund, Finance Technology. Now, what he also has done is he also has done a statistical analysis on the abnormal mortality rate of individuals from 25 to 64 after the vaccines were introduced. So these are what Ed has done is he's, he's taken numbers from insurance companies and actuaries as well as the CDC... And what actuaries do is they help insurance companies determine what your premium should be every month in a simplistic way. Now, I was a commissioner of our insurance fund. I, I, I dealt with actuaries quite often. And I understand that what they do, and I understand that they're very accurate. And these numbers that doubt is coming out with is, is startling. I'm not surprised, but it's startling. And he makes a correlation between the vaccine mandates and the astronomically significantly higher mortality rates of individuals, 25 to 64, and disability rates, particularly among women. So let me just go to a clip. And this is a clip, um, Dowd's being interviewed by Dr. Drew. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss.
1: Uh, I started gathering my team. And in March, we analyzed the CDC data, just straight CDC data. And we found a couple of strange things. Um, the CDC on their website didn't break, down, break it down by age. They showed all ages. Uh, and it looked like, you know, the pandemic in year two was almost as bad as year one, but not quite. But when you broke it down by age, there was a strange and alarming signal. And particularly in the 25 to 44 age cohort, the millennials, uh, that cohort um, experienced into the fall of 2021 an 84% rise in excess mortality. And that's a signal in Wall Street. You know, that's a temporal signal that something has changed and something I suspect was the fact that um, you got to remember if you go back to 2021, uh, corporations were starting to mandate the vaccine well before Biden even... uh, at, at, you know, gave his executive order on September 9th. Um, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley were already mandating vaccines in August, and they led the way on Wall Street, and they led the way in corporate America, quite frankly, so that's when it really started to hit, and then people had to choose between um, keeping their job or not. Could you, could you tell the causes of death that were responsible for that second derivative change? In other words, w- was it uh, or do you have access to that data? What makes, what my brain immediately does is I go, oh, we saw a lot of suicide and opioid and alcohol deaths that went straight up in that age group also. Were you able to parse that out? So uh, that, the, the the pushback is exactly what you just said, and I'll address that. So people said, hey, hey Ed, you know, hey, great, sure. But those are, you know, there's suicides, deaths of despair, opioid, addiction, uh, fentanyl addiction, and uh, missed cancer screening treatments. Those were the three reasons. And fair enough. Okay. If, 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 if the excess mortality had gone up to 20% and leveled off, that would have been fine. But my problem with it was the temporal rate of change into a three month event that we all know occurred. And I, I find it very hard to believe that Uh, Everyone decided in a three-month time frame to excessively commit suicide, overdose on fentanyl, or miss cancer screening treatment. So there was a signal there. There's no doubt in my mind that something happened in 2021 using simple deductive reasoning. The only thing that happened that would cause working-age people between 25 and 64 to suddenly see that kind of increase would be the one thing that changed, vaccines and mandates.
0: Dow then goes on to talk about disability rates. Now, disability rates and mortality rates are a little different. Mortality rates are about death. Uh, disability rates have to do with uh, when a worker gets injured long-term. And, uh, you know, and we're not talking about short-term like workers' comp. We're talking about long-term injuries. So let's go back to Dowd. Uh, my uh, two PhD uh, partners
1: uh, in my hedge fund did a study on disability in August. And we looked at it, and it was pretty stunning, and then it kind of fits with what I just told you about the insurance industry. The general population, overall U.S. population, ages 16 through 64, their disability rate rose in 2021 from an average of about 7.5% to 8%. So that's a 6.6% increase in disability. And if you look at the graph, it shows a definite change. And so they analyzed the, what's called a year-over-year rate, or rate of change. And they came up with the fact that that, that was a three-standard deviation event, which on Wall Street only occurs uh, 0.03% of the time.
0: So if something happened. It's a signal. And then Dow went on to say that the disability rate for women was much higher than the disability rate for men during this period. Which makes sense, because if you listen to uh, Naomi Wolf and her studies that she got from her Pfizer requests, and she found that these vaccines hurt women much more than they hurt men. Now, you read about uh, the mortality rate, and I think the mortality rate affected uh, men much more than women, but from a disability standpoint, from the actual um, being hurt, by the vaccine, but not being killed by the vaccine, it's affected women much more than men. And Wolf's done a a number of reports on the studies that were provided to her by Pfizer that said that there is risk to women's reproductive organs by taking the vaccine. So this kind of makes sense. It all ties out to a nice little package. So that's where we are with this. And I want to switch you to uh, Ed Dow testifying before... Ron, senator ron johnson's hearing on vaccines which took place uh, earlier this month so let's go to that and we'll come back and discuss
1: um the bottom line is we saw 2020 pre-vaccine and 2021 and 22 post-vaccine there was a mixed shift from 2020 to 21 of excess mortality from old to young so in 2020 it was mostly old people we also saw um a mixed shift in uh, disabilities starting to rise in May of 21. Um, the excess mortality has shifted so much so that it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal what you see here in the charts before you. This is not my data, this is a society of actuaries. In 2021, in ages 25 through 64, the employed people of our nation covered under group life, they experienced a 40% excess mortality.
0: Startling information. Well, Dowd's got a book, if you want to take a look at it, it's called Cause Unknown, the Epidemic of Sudden Deaths in 2021 and 2022. You can get it on Amazon, and uh, good luck, (laughs) Dad. You know, I just want to spend a couple of moments on George Santos, (laughs) the lying congressman elect from New York. Now, I'm not sure if I should highlight the fact that he's so special because he's a liar, because most politicians lie. But he's told some whoppers. He said he went to Baruch College. He didn't go to college. He said he was gay. Uh, It's kind of up in the air. He was married for five years. He said he worked for Goldman Sachs. He never worked for Goldman Sachs. (laughs) What else? (laughs) There were just a number. Oh, he said he was Jewish. And he wasn't Jewish. He's not Jewish. He's Catholic. And he gets elected. So... Now what they're doing is they're, I guess the federal government's doing an investigation and I think the local government's going to do an investigation on what they going to find. What's illegal about a politician lying? And I just find it ironic that there's a lot of politicians that are really quiet. So the federal agencies, so the bureaucrats are saying things, none of the politicians. I think one or two of them may have said something, but most of them are quiet. They probably went back and checking their resumes to see if there's any mistakes, (laughs) but The ironic thing is, what happens if Santos turns out to be an effective congressman? What's going to happen next time he runs? And, you know, with all the yahoos that we have in Congress right now, we've got the senator from Connecticut claims he fought in the Vietnam War. He didn't fight in the Vietnam War. We've got an ex-president, Clinton, who perjured himself. And just a few notable things. You know, we've got another president of the United States. You can keep your doctor with Obamacare. That was a whopper. So, you know, I, I think the only thing that they can look at is maybe his uh, election reports, is um, see where his money came for his contributions uh, to fund his candidacy. Who knows? But we shall see. You know, in a sordid way, I'm kind of rooting for the guy because he's kind of blatantly the worst of a bunch of liars for the most part. So we shall see. Okay, one last thing before we go to my predictions for 2023. The J6 committee pulled back their subpoena for Donald Trump. Now, aren't they a nice bunch of people? I think that was the last thing they did before they disbanded or informally disbanded. So I'm sure Donald Trump is very happy about that. Okay, let's go to my predictions for 2023. And my first prediction is your taxes are going to go up. Surprised? You didn't know that? Well, as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, there's going to be a $6.5 billion natural gas tax, a $12 billion crude oil tax, and a $1.2 billion coal tax. And that's all going to raise your costs for energy in your house, one way or another. So it's really not a prediction, but I'm not sure if everybody knew this. Okay, let's go to real predictions. And my first real prediction is going to be about inflation. And I want to talk about things that really are important to my listeners. And that is inflation. And although the overall inflation rate may moderate, food costs will continue to be high. And, you know, the inflation rate comes out and it's essentially about – a. basket of goods, which includes housing and used cars and uh, new cars, um, certain types of energy, gasoline. So what's going to happen is, for example, housing costs are going to decrease next year. Uh, Used car prices are going to offset, uh, decrease next year. And that could help bring the overall inflation rate down a bit, but your food costs are going to remain high. So hidden in that are high food costs. So expect food costs to remain high for the duration of 2023. And maybe into 2024 too. And gasoline is going to be high. They're talking about $4 per gallon gasoline. I think it's going to go higher. Expect $5 per gallon gasoline. And if there's an expanded war in Ukraine, expect even higher prices than that. But that's what you should expect. You know, as I've said, you know, if you want to stock up on canned goods and non-perishables, you know, I'd recommend that maybe offset some of the costs. And with that said, I want to twist over to the uh, stock market. Uh, the stock market finished down this year with its worst year since 2008, the financial crisis. The Dow finished down 8.78 percent. The S and P finished down 19.44 percent. And NASDAQ finished down 33.10%. And my prediction is, is that expect stocks to go another 20% lower because in the first half of this year, stocks are going to get a double whammy of higher interest rates from the Fed and meager earnings as a result of their own recession. Now, I think we're, you know, we went into a recession earlier this year and it's kind of like in a gray area. But even if you ask the cheerleaders on Wall Street, they're telling you there's going to be a recession in the first half of 2023. And it doesn't bode well for stocks. And you're going to see a lot of volatility. You're going to see a lot of gnashing of teeth. But the problem with the market this year is they didn't capitulate. This market has to capitulate. It's an arrogant market. Just like most of the institutions we have today, it's arrogant. They think they're smarter than the Fed. They think they're smarter than you and me. And they have to capitulate. And once they capitulate, instead of trying to outsmart the Fed, it's going to be a rough year. It's going to be a lot of volatility. So we shall see. I want to talk about gold a little bit. Now, gold's been disappointing, and I'll tell you why. Everybody says, oh, gold's a hedge on inflation. And I've talked to some dealers, and, I'm, uh, and I've am and I've, said to them, well... You know, if gold is a hedge on inflation, you know, gold has not moved this year. Gold was down a couple ticks for the year. And with inflation running up in 2020, 2022, you would think that gold would follow. And what their answer is to me is, well, it has to do with the dollar. The dollar was strong this year. And my point to them is, well, then don't sell gold as a hedge on inflation. Now, with that said, I think gold is going to have a good year in 2023. I think the strong dollar is not going to exist next year. And because of that, you'll see a run-up in gold. And the same thing with silver. I think silver had a little better year. I think it was up two percentage points for the year. And I think silver have a good year also. Oil, I think gold is going to push $90 a barrel. And again, if there's an expanded war in Ukraine... It'll burst through a hundred dollars a barrel, and let's talk about Ukraine. And quite frankly, I do not see any settlement in Ukraine in twenty twenty three. I just see continued insanity, with a good potential that this thing can turn into a world war. You know, I, I hate to say it. It's just you know we, we are we're funding the United States is funding a potential world war three. And I just think 2023 will just be the continued grinding of the Ukrainian forces. And I just don't think that Russia will grind the Ukrainian forces down to nothing this year. 2024, yes. This year, no. And I also see assassination attempts on Zelensky. And that's a strong possibility. Now, the other reason I think that this thing is going to go into 2024, is that the Ukrainian elections, I think, are in April of 2024. And in the back of Zelensky's mind, I've got a feeling that he would like to suspend the elections. And if he can get this war to drag out into 2024, he can suspend the federal elections in Ukraine, which makes sense for a guy that's disbanded a church, disbanded opposition parties, disbanded news agencies. So it's a way for him to consolidate power. Now, you know, I mentioned this thing can uh, slip into a World War III. There's always the issue with Belarus and what Belarus is going to do, which can draw other people into it. Now, if this thing does expand into a World War III in Europe, I do think that China will take the opportunity to attack Taiwan. Because when you think about it, The United States would have to fight two wars. They would have two fronts of a war. And how are we going to afford that? You know, do you remember the fall of the Soviet Union? It was simply because Ronald Reagan in the United States outspent the Soviet Union, which essentially caused the Soviet Union to go bankrupt because they could not keep up with the defense spending that the United States was doing. Now, are Russia and China looking to do the same to the United States? Because think about it, we're spending—we spent a hundred billion dollars in Ukraine in less than a year. What are we going to spend in Taiwan if China attacks Taiwan? Another another hundred billion. Think about it. That's two hundred and fifty billion a year, a quarter of a trillion dollars. That goes right to our debt. And I'm just extrapolating some numbers to get to the quarter trillion, but that's going right to our debt. And while I'm at it. My prediction is we're going to add at least another trillion dollars to our debt in 2023. Now, there's a possibility that that could be held up with a vote on our debt ceiling. And I think that's going to come up around June. And right now, the Republican House, because they got screwed by Mitch McConnell, has lost a lot of leverage over the budget and over our spending. And one of the few tools they have left is this debt ceiling. So I give it a 50-50 chance that the Republicans are going to use the debt ceiling ceiling to extract some concessions from the Democrats in the White House. Let's talk about Sam Bankman-Fried. Here's my prediction on Sam Bankman-Fried for 2023. Quite frankly, I don't think anything happens to him this year. If there is anything that happens, it could be a slap on the wrist. And the reason is because he's got both sides paid off. And I know the game that's going on right now. Her, his parents, her, his politically connected parents, are on the phone trying to find some lead into the Department of Justice. Any connection that they can find at the Department of Justice. Oh, can you do? It? take it easy on my son? Send, do me a favor, send a message to so-and-so. Take it easy on my son. We'll put a good word in for you. In the private sector. And the problem is, he's got both sides paid off. He got some Republicans paid off, mostly Democrats, but that's why he's probably going to get a slap on the wrist if anything happens to him this year. I'm not convinced anything's going to happen to him this year. There's, there'll be litigation, but that's what's going to happen to good old Sam. Let's talk about crypto. Crypto is going to have another nightmare year, but it will survive. You know, we're coming, we'll be coming out of this. At some point. This craziness at some point. I don't think it's going to happen before 2024. It's going to have to happen under a new president. Likely Trump. And speaking of Trump. I don't think that Ron DeSantis is not going to throw his hat into the ring this year. This year. Okay. And with that said. Listen. I had a really good year. This is my first year doing this. And uh, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. And you have a good safe New Year's. And I will talk to you next year. Okay, thanks. And have a good, good weekend.